Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Living Jewish. We're in chapter 128, learning the laws of Elul, section number 7. We're learning the laws of who should be the chazin for the tzlichos prayers and for the days of awe. The congregation should be careful to choose as a chazin who will lead the tzlichos prayers and the prayers on the days of awe. Who should lead them? Number one, a man who is worthy. How do you become a man who is worthy? Previously, in chapter 15, section 11, the Kitter set out who could be a chazan on the daily service. So in addition to all the laws of who's appropriate to be the daily chazan, we now have more details. Second of all, and as great in Torah knowledge and in good deeds, he should be a Torah scholar, a lot of good deeds, as is possible to find. Additionally, this is very interesting, Additionally, he should be at least 30 years old. Really? At least 30 years old. Why? Because by then, the passions of his youth have abated, and his heart is submissive to God. Until 30, people are on fire. At 30 years old, the Allah is saying you start slowing down a little bit. Not not in a bad way, but more like you calm down. Okay, so we know that he should be worthy, be great in Torah knowledge and good deeds, at least 30 years old. He should also be married with children, because then he will pour out his heart and plead beseechingly from the depth of his heart. Someone who has a wife and children, they, they have more, there's more that they're concerned about. We want this person to truly have what to be concerned about. Likewise, they should carefully choose a toikeya. Similarly, just like the person who's going to lead the services has to have all of these qualifications. Similarly, the one who's going to blow the shofar. The one who will sound the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. And also the one who calls out the sequence of shofar blasts before the tokeya. Not only does the person who blows the shofar need to have, need to be an appropriate person, but even the person who's going to be pointing along, telling him where to go, needs to be appropriate. What does appropriate mean? To ensure that they are Torah scholars and God-fearing people, as prominent as they can possibly find. So, what we'll learn, nevertheless, this is important to say. In other words, what we're learning is, we have some high shot qualifications. Right. But what happens if you can't find... What, well, let's review. What are the qualifications, ideally, for someone, for someone leading the services? Right. He should be worthy, Torah, Torah scholar, mitzvot, 30 years old, have a wife and children, ideally. And similarly, the person blowing the shofar and pointing should be a Torah scholar and God-fearing. Nevertheless, even if you cannot find people with these qualifications, this is a great point all Jews are fit to serve in all these positions. Every Jew, every Jew is fit. Provided that the person selected is acceptable to the congregation. Here comes an important point. We don't fight. If someone worthy of a position sees that there is a quarrel over this matter, he should refrain from accepting the position even if someone unworthy will be selected instead. If you see that there's a machlokis starting, there's an argument starting, just better 
to let someone less qualified daven than get involved in an argument. Is your is your friction sometimes when people are leading and they want to do it or what? What's Unfortunately, going on? there could be friction in anything. Right, right, right. Really? Right? Do you, do you agree with me? Everything in the world could in, have friction. In a position? In a rabbinical position? Or, you know, Every, a, 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 a religious, I mean, something important? Let's talk about something important. Let's talk about the position of the President of America. Is there any friction? Probably. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's probably yeah, some yeah, friction. Probably. You may not be familiar, but every position could have friction. Right. So better to let someone else unworthy step in, then you get involved in this argument. Right. Okay. Number eight. Now we're going to learn what are the laws of someone who's in a year of mourning for a close relative to him. One who is in mourning during the entire 12-month mourning period for his father or mother should not serve as Chazan on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, nor as the Tokea, the person who blows the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, unless there is nobody as qualified as he. So, if there is... Good morning. Welcome in. You want to sit? You got it together? Okay. If there is no one else qualified, then this person who has Unfortunately, lost a father and mother within 12 months. Right. Then he could be chazin. Right. What about if other relatives, meaning, God forbid, if a wife, siblings, or children pass away within 30 days? So we know there's different levels, right? There is seven days of mourning, 30 days of shloshim, 11 months of Kaddish, 12 months, the completion of the year. So for someone who, God forbid, lost a father and mother the entire 12 months, he should not be chazen. What about someone who lost, not a father and mother, but, God forbid, a wife, sibling, or child, and he's within 30 days of the 30-day period of Shaloshim? If he already held the position to lead the prayers or to sound a shofar, Meaning, if he did it in a previous year, he is permitted to do so this year as well. Why? This is because Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur cancel the 30-day mourning period. We know that there's something called the 30-day period. And if one of the three holidays, or Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, fall out within the 30 days, the 30-day mourning period is over. So since the 30-day mourning period will end right before Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur start, he's allowed to go ahead and be chazen if he did it in a previous year. However, if he did not hold these positions before, and there is another person as qualified as he, it is proper for him to be stringent and not assume these positions. So let's repeat, if it's within 12 months of a father and mother, God forbid, one should, should try not to dive in, and within 30 days of, uh, of someone else, close to him, if he prayed in a previous year, as if he led in a previous year, he can continue, but if he is not in a previous year led, he should not start this year being the chazin. However, during all of the days of Slichos, even on Erev Rosh Hashanah, any mourner may serve as chazin, but not if he is in, within the first seven days of mourning. So, 
Previously, we spoke about all the qualifications of a chazan for slichos. Slichos are the first are the days prior to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur when we get up early in the morning to beseech Hashem for a good new year. And then we have Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So, in looking for a chazan, we had the same qualifications. That was number seven. But in number eight, we're saying something a little different. There is a difference between them. Slichos, a mourner can do so long as he's not within seven days of mourning. By Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur itself, a mourner ideally should not do, unless he's done it a previous year and he's within 30 days of a, of a, of a relative, not a father and mother. Right. Any questions? No. Number nine. Number nine. Number nine. There are certain, certain parts... I'm so happy, Micha, that you have that sitter. Can I borrow that sitter for a moment? I want to show you. So I want to show everybody something using your sitter. Yeah. On page fifty-five. Actually, yesterday Rabbi Wilhelm mentioned it in his speech. On page fifty-five, we have the thirteen attributes of mercy. The thirteen attributes of mercy we learn. Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu okay. when he was on Har Sinai. Mo Hashem was wearing a talis. I'm sorry, I, I apologize for taking it away. Thank you for getting another one, Tim. Hashem is wearing a talis, and he tells Moshe Rabbeinu, who's hidden in a little hole in the rock, he says, for, you could peek at me for a moment. And during that time, Moshe Rabbeinu learns that if there's an, a really serious need for Hashem's mercy, Put on a talis like Hashem is putting on and say the 13 attributes of mercy. This is a really holy experience. And we're going to learn that it's such a holy experience you should not say it without a minion. Mm. So if you are going to say slichos by yourself, you should not say the 13 attributes of mercy. There's another time. Even you'll see, every day we say it in Shachas and Mincha. You can do it in a singing way. Let's, we'll talk about that. We'll mention it. Good, good. But in the Siddur itself, by Shachas and Mincha, it actually says, the following two verses are recited only when praying with a minion. Both by Shachas on page 55. And again, by Mincha, we say it on page 113. These, this, these words are not said if there's no minion. Let's see that inside. Now it's not a negative thing, it's actually a positive thing. It's telling us how special these words are. Number nine, an individual who is reciting slichos on his own without a con congregation is not permitted to recite the passage of the 13 attributes in the manner of a prayer or petition. In other words, asking... Hashem to, be, to have the 13 attributes of mercy on him is not appropriate. Why? Because it's so holy. It needs a minion. Rather, he may recite it in the manner of reading from the Torah with the tune and cantillations of the Torah reading. You know, it's part of the Torah, the 13, the 13 attributes of mercy. Mm. You're allowed to read the Torah any time. I was about to ask, yeah. So, like Yaakov said, and like you were going to ask, you could read it, but read it as Torah. Right. So what if a person doesn't know how to make these cantillations? Should they make up their own sort of sing-song way for this? Or should they 
just if the, so imagine a say for example, a person studying Torah they come across this passage and they don't know how to make the, the cantillation. I got the question. Yeah. It's such a good question that I want to if, if you could pass two Chumashim please. Yeah. And I'm going to ask if we could open them up to Exodus 34, 6, 7. Exodus 34, 6, 7. Please turn to page 459. So the first thing I want to share is that in the verse 6 starts, we'll read it in the, in the, we'll read it in the, in the English for a moment. God passed by before Moses and proclaimed. So now this is not part of the 13 attributes. This is the story, so to say. God is passing by Moses. Again, he's wearing a talis. And he says, God is saying, the 13, God, God, omnipotent, merciful and kind, slow to anger. And the 13 attributes continue. He remembers deeds of love for thousands of generations, forgiving and rebellion and error. He does not clear those who do not repent, but keeps in mind... Forgiving sin. Sorry, just to go back a moment. Forgiving sin. In this, when we say the 13 attributes of mercy, what I, what I want to bring out is we actually stop in the middle of a verse. So in the, here it says, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin, and he cleanses. Huh. Now it stops in the middle of the verse. Right. Why? Right in Hebrew, it stops by the word vinake. Um, so it stops by the word vinake. Yeah. vinake. Yeah, there's meaning for that. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but here's what we're, here's what Reb Moshe Feinstein says. Very fascinating. He says number one is if you're saying it as a as a prayer as a Torah learning. There's a law, you can't stop in the middle of a passage. Uh -huh. So first, first of all, he says you need to finish the passage if you're saying it as a Torah learning. Number one. Number two is, if you don't know the cantillation, so he says, say it as you would say when you, the tune you learn in. No, no problem. But, but uh, say it, you know, to learning whatever tune you have. The Alter Rebbe, or I forgot which Rebbe it was. Everything he learned had a different tune. So you said in your tune. Got it? Good, okay, let's continue. So, yes, Micha. Which page? Oh, you could choose 55 or 113. I leave it to you to decide. Okay. Let's continue. Likewise, in places where the 13 attributes are mentioned in the Slichos, in other words, they're not even said, they're just mentioned, such as, and remember for us today, the covenant of the 13 and similar references. He should omit those references. In other words, the 13 attributes are so incredible just to mention them needs a minion. I'll tell you, to the best of my knowledge, it's not our custom to not mention a mention of it. But it's interesting to note the halacha here. Uh, do we have a slichos here? The Rambam yeah. did a good explanation about the thirteen. Uh, uh, Please tell us. So does it starts with the Shem Hashem, yeah. two names of Hashem. So it says that why do we say two names of Hashem? In other words, we're repeating. 
repeating. So one is for the one that you Hashem who was before. Right. And the second one after you clean yourself and you nah. make a tshuva, then Hashem returns as he was before. So the two times of Hashem is the cycle of cleaning yourself and making your tshuva. And why we stop in Nake and below in Nake? Below in Nake is basically when you Nake is the last part of Hashem giving you the ability to clean yourself in the thirteen lines. Yeah. And after Lo Yinake is when He's actually telling you if you don't do it, just remember. Well, translate the words Lo Yinake. So Lo Yinake is like uh, you're not going to make tshuva, simple as that. I don't forgive you. I don't forgive you if you <laughs> so, don't make tshuva. Yeah. So we don't want to mention that. So we say, we say Nake, so Hashem cleans you. But Nake is like clean, <laughs> clean for you. The, the Naki, did you learn the word Naki? No, I, and I don't see. I don't see. You, you, you remember the song, um, Anina Talatia Daim? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have the word Naki in it. Yeah, and I don't see 113. 113? Try going back this way a little more, and in the middle you'll hit it, but slowly. There's another point we don't mention if there's a minion. What is that? Aramaic prayers. Prayer generally is in Hebrew. There's a few prayers that are not in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. And if they're not in Hebrew, you should not say them without a minion. Mm-hmm. Let's see that inside. It's all the time, all the Aramaic, in, in general. Yeah, it's up in, it's all, yeah. Let's learn inside and then I'll try and answer. It's a good question. Similarly, the petitions found in the Slichos that are recited in the Aramaic language, such as Machayumasa, he who smites and heals, Marandivishmaya, and our Master who is in heaven, should be recited only in the presence of ten with a minion. Let me share something for a second. Perhaps this is something connected. On Shabbos, I'll give you another page. You ready, Micha? Mm-hmm. A new page to find. Look for page 230. 230, wow. Yikum Purkan is Aramaic. <laughs> and let's look at the, the instructions right before it. Oh, I apologize. It's only in the second paragraph. But here it says, One who prays alone need not say the following two paragraphs. But that's for a different reason. I mean, it's because they're talking about a congregation. But here we have a law that items that are not said in Hebrew should not be said without a minion. And just to briefly explain, you know, I'm not clear. The truth is, I, I'm not exactly clear what the reasoning behind it is. There is a reason that says, uh, I don't know if it is the reason, but uh, there's a point of saying that when the speak in the Hebrew language, the angels can understand you. But when you speak in the, in the Aramaic, the angels are blocked from understanding. Right. So that's why there's many things that you actually want to do it in different languages in order to... That they don't understand They will not understand it. Yeah. Right. Yes. So I, the kind of there is a point that the angels don't understand. Only The angels themselves only understand Hebrew. Only understand. Yeah. So in English is good. <laughs> Ten. <laughs> now we're going to talk about a mourner within the seven days of, sh- of passing of a father or mother, or actually of, of a relative. The seven.
can he leave his house to go to the Slichos prayers? Generally, a mourner stays in his house and actually a minion goes to him. But could he go to Shul? A mourner may not leave his house to go to the synagogue to recite Slichos, except on Erev Rosh Hashanah when they recite an extensive Slichos service. The Eve of Rosh Good job. Erev Rosh Hashanah is a longer Slichos and you're allowed to go to Shul. The mourner could go to Shul for that prayer. Okay. Even if you don't have a minion, it's a stiddler Probably. Probably. I think it's a technicality. I think we're concerned you're not going to be able to get so many people to go to your house for yeah, so long. Exactly. So, <laughs> so we'd say in that scenario, go, go to show. Number 11. I, I don't see the number. Ah, we're in a different book. You want to share with... We're going back and forth. You want to share with Jeffrey? Okay. Now you see number 11? Yeah. Good. The Chazan who will lead the prayers on the days of awe, as well as the Tokeah, must refrain for three days prior to Rosh Hashanah from anything that may bring spiritual impurity upon them. So, over here, they quote the Elef Hamagain, who says that this is referring to they shouldn't have relations for three days prior to Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur because that could make them impure. They should learn to the best of their ability. That's number one. Number two is they should learn to the best of their ability the meanings of the prayers and piyotim and the laws of the tekios of blowing the shofar. Meaning, someone who's going to read, the, who's going to lead you, needs to know what he's talking about. Imagine you get up for a speech and you don't know a word you're saying. You may have seen that before, and it's not such... <laughs> Let's imagine better. Imagine you're all gathered, and you have a leader who's talking on your behalf, and doesn't know what he's saying. It's not, it's not so good. So we want you to know what you're talking about. Additionally, the person who blows the shofar should know what he's doing also. In addition to this, they're not only speakers, they also are people that are supposed to be representatives for you. You want them to be in a good spiritual state. Additionally, they should study Musa works, works that inspire a person to improve himself, that arouse a person's heart, so that they will fear the dread of the judgment of God and the grandeur of His glory as He rises to judge the world. Poetic. We want them to take this seriously. Yeah. Right. However, like we learned previously about the chazan, if you don't find someone with all the law, with all the appropriate requirements, he's still good. Every Jew is good. If the congregation cannot find a tokeah who is learned in Torah. Oh, then they should at least see to it that the one who calls out the sequence of the shofar blast should be learned in Torah. And that he should be proficient in the laws of sounding the shofar so that if any mistake should occur when sounding the tzikios, he will know what to do. So, remember we learned that there's someone who blows the shofar mm -hmm. and there's another person who's telling the guy blowing the shofar where he is up to. You could get confused. There's, a hundred, there's 30 sounds you make. Today. So if the person who's blowing the shofar, he's, he gives the best sound. That's important, sound, but he doesn't know the law so well, it's okay. 
as long as the person who's leading him knows the laws well and could in a minute, if a mistake happens, tell him what to do. It's kind of like if the guy who plays the trumpet is good, but sometimes he makes a mistake, make sure the conductor is there to quickly put him back on track. Last law about this is, additionally, he should know how to examine the shofar to determine whether it is valid. This is really interesting, Micha. A shofar has a lot of laws. Actually, very complicating laws. If a shofar has the smallest crack in certain places, the whole shofar, I don't know how much you spent on it, could be invalid. If it's by the tip. It... So the person who's blowing the shofar and should know, or at least the person who's pointing along or, or calling along should know what disqualifies a, a shofar. And I'll tell you personally, even in 770, in the Chabad World Headquarters, after they blew the shofar one time, there was a question if the shofar was kosher. And they actually re-blew all the blasts on Rosh Hashanah. Wow. Wow. I mean, it's, it's something that could happen in the best of places. Wow. Because, like I said, depending on where it is, you could, you could miss it. You could miss the smallest crack. Should we learn one more? Or should we stop here? One more. Let's do 12. Let's do 12. So, many people have a custom to fast for 10 days. The 10 days of repentance. However, there's a problem. You can't fast all 10 days. Why? Because you're not allowed to fast on Rosh Hashanah or Shabbos. Could I give you a math question? There's 10 days. And three of them, you're not allowed to fast. So how many days are left? What is... 3 minus 10. 3 minus 10. You mean, of course, 10 minus 3. Yes, thank you for correcting me. 10 minus 3. I, 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 that's a good one. I wouldn't know 3 minus 10. What is 10 minus 3? And you could ask anyone for a lifesaver. No pressure. I like challenges. Good. So I'm gonna, you're going to think about it when you know you tell us, okay? So we have these days that you're not allowed to fast. But we say we're fasting all seven people that have this custom. So what do you do in this scenario? Right. You ready? Let's see. Many people have the custom to fast, number 12, during the 10 days of repentance. I made a mistake. However, since four days are missing from the 10, in which they may not fast, what are the four days? The two days of Rosh Hashanah, Shabbos and Erev Yom Kippur. I forgot, Erev Yom Kippur is the only day there's actually a mitzvah to eat as much as you can. You ready? Go ahead. Seven. Fantastic. Beautiful. If there's three days that you can fast, there's seven left. But guess what? I made a mistake when I shared it with you. There's actually four days we can't, we're not allowed to fast. So you want to figure that one out? <laughs> oh, man. Just six. Boom. So there's six days we're able to fast. But four days you're not able to fast. What should you do? Therefore, they fast instead on four other days during the days of Slichos prior to Rosh Hashanah. Prior to Rosh Hashanah, when we get up early to say Slichos, they fast on those days. What are the four days? In other words, this is a serious custom. Everything's in place. These four days are the first day of Slichos. Number one. Number two is Erev Rosh Hashanah, the day before Rosh Hashanah. And then they choose two more days in between. And of, course, and of these, they choose Monday and Thursday. Hmm. 
So, for example, how would that look, how would that look this year? This year we start Selichos a week prior to Rosh Hashanah, because Rosh Hashanah falls out on Sunday night, I believe. I believe it's Sunday night, I could be mistaken. So that means they would fast on the Sunday, a week prior to Rosh Hashanah. They would fast on the Sunday of Erev Rosh Hashanah, and they would fast on the Monday and Thursday of the week prior. If on any of these fast days it occurs that they are attending a mitzvah feast, you, Baruch Hashem, you have a wedding to go to. You have a bris to go to. So now we want you to eat there. And they should fast on another day instead. <laughs> Alternatively, if they know ahead of time that they'll be attending a mitzvah feast, they may fast on a day prior to that day in its stead. See above 127.3 and 14. So let's summarize what we've learned today. We learned the law of who's allowed to be a chazin. For Slichos, we learned the laws of someone in mourning and their position of being a chazin. We learned about the 13 attributes of mercy and their greatness. They should only be said with the minion. We learned about a mourner not leaving his house to go to Slichos unless it's the Slichos prior to the day of, on the day of Rosh Hashanah, of the eve of Rosh Hashanah. We learned about the chazin and the, per- the people involved in blowing the shofar, preparing themselves, making sure they know the laws, making sure the shofar is complete. And the custom of those that have, that have to fast 10 days, the problem is there's only 6 days between Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, so they fast 4 days prior to Rosh Hashanah. Are there any questions? Okay, thank you very much.